Let us act like he's been good to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. His love lifted us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When nothing else could help. Hallelujah. When the government couldn't help. When my parents couldn't help. When my job couldn't help. His love. Hallelujah. It lifted me. Hallelujah. Father, we honor you today. We are extremely grateful for your grace. We're grateful, Father, for your desire for this church, New Direction. We thank you for the man of God that you have set over this house. We pray that you would encourage him, give him the wisdom that he needs to lead this people to the place that you have shown him, Father. Continue to strengthen the leadership around him, Father, that he might be free to sit on the mountain and hear from you, Father. Continue to grow this church up. Continue to bind them together as one so that as you send in the broken and the disenfranchised, Father, that they might find people that know how to minister to their need with no judgment at all, O oh God. Pour out your spirit in this place. Now, Father, I will share with them what you have laid on my heart. I will share what you have burdened me with for this hour, Father. I can only pray that I would articulate myself with clarity and understanding and that the anointing would have the preeminence, Father. We say thank you this morning. Now have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. I am extremely excited to be with you. This is a little different than the first time that I was here because y'all in here now. Amen. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous, so I, I think I liked it better the other way. Amen. Because all I had to do was preach to that camera. But now that you're here, praise God that we have arrived. Amen. I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to come and share with your church. I do believe that I have a word from the Lord for you. And I also believe that God wants something from New Direction. Amen. Amen. It's difficult to pastor with longevity because with longevity the, the, the desires change when you first start it's kind of like alright did, did God really call me did God really anoint me for this task and, and will people come and then people come and you start saying okay listen this is what I want to do now I want to really make some disciples I really want to make some people that walk with God and, and love God and, and learn how to uh, move through the spirit and learn how to be effective witnesses for the kingdom. I really want that. And then you get to another place where you start saying, I want power. Amen. I want something different. I just don't want the people to come together to gather just to gather. I want our gatherings to mean something more to us collectively. I don't want it to mean that we just have this formality of gathering on Sundays and that's just what we do. And so we expect the order of services to always remain the same every Sunday in so much that we can time it. Amen. I know who's going to sing. I know who's going to come up and give the announcement. 
I know when the offering time is going to come. This has become habitual, and we get into that rut, and we fail to realize that God wants something so much more from us, and the man of God that has been laboring in the vineyard desires so much more for us. What's God up to? What does he want? Amen. Have we, the church, and not just New Directions, the church in general fell into a rut? That all we're doing is waiting for Jesus to come. All we're doing is biding time. There's got to be something more to this. Amen. I can't believe that Jesus came and died for me just so that I could gather with other believers every Sunday, sing a few songs, and go home and start the routine all over again. There's got to be something more. And I believe that as you journey you begin to change, and you begin to ask those questions. I am an avid sports fan. I love all sports. And one of the things that I'm always intrigued by is those who have played for a certain amount of years that never won a championship, you will see that they will start giving up things because of the desire to win a championship. What are we ready to give up because we want something different? What are we ready to let go, or are we satisfied with the way things are? Paul, Paul writes to this Ephesians church in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and, I, and I realize that, that you guys read a different translation than me. So, so rock with a brother for a little bit, all right? All right, don't throw stones at me because I'm King Jimmy. And you might be new King Jimmy. Or you might be Niv. Or you might be whatever you are. Don't, 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 don't hurt me because I'm down with the king. All right? Don't, 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 don't be mad at me. So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of faith, of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, and to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify of the Lord, that you walk henceforth not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness in their heart, who being past feeling give, have given themselves over unto, unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, I just committed a hermeneutical error. Amen. I started a text with the word and. Now, for you Bible thumpers, amen, just roll with me. I'm going somewhere. Technically, I should not start a text with and because and is a conjunction which means it's connected to the verses previously. But I ain't got all that kind of time. 
So I can't go through all of the verses. Paul is writing to a group of believers who are living underneath or beneath their privilege. Now, most instances, when we hear that we're living beneath our privilege, we equate that to material stuff. We should have a better house. We should have a better car. We should have, a, we should have all of this stuff. Because in our culture, in our world, we love quantity over quality. We'd rather have all this stuff and not have peace. We'd rather have all of this stuff and not have joy. We can't even maintain all the stuff that we have right now. The stuff that we have is bringing us anxiety. You live in a row home, but you got a Tesla. You walking outside every 10 minutes to make sure that Tesla is all right. That Tesla is getting more of your time and your mental devotion than God. Because having the Tesla has given you status. But the privilege of God gives you status that you cannot evaluate by the, the, by the tools of this world. So Paul writes to this group of believers, and he's trying to make them understand that they are living beneath their privilege. And so he divides this book up into two sections. He divides it up into two sections. The first section of this book, the first three chapters of Ephesians, is about your position in Christ. And if you don't understand your position, you will always give people a discount. You will always let people dictate to you what you're supposed to do, how you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to say. If you don't understand your privilege, if you don't understand your position, amen, in my house, I'm the guy. As the young folks say, I am he. Amen. Nobody in my house gets to worry until I start to worry because I am he. I hold the position. Amen. My wife don't open no bills. She don't know what they look like. Amen. And so much, if the Lord took me home today and they came, she'd be like, I ain't know we was paying that. I don't know why because I am in position to make sure that she has no worries. God, help me preach for a little bit, just for a little bit. Because of the position God has put me in, she has no thought. She is free to be who she is. Amen. She don't know about it because of the position that I am in in her life. Because of the position that I am in my children's lives, they have no worries. My daughter just graduated from Penn State University. She don't owe nobody nothing. Now listen, 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 listen. Don't, don't, listen, don't go up in praise. Because this is some hard work, beloved. Don't start shouting yet. But she don't owe nobody nothing. She bought a car two years ago and has never put gas in it. I don't even know if she know where the gas pump is because of the person that's in position in her life. My son, he's going to school free. He's in his second year. He's at the church right now. He's got a job 
at the church that I work at because I'm in position. So watch, they have to honor the privilege that they get from me being in position. And here's what Paul is saying. We don't know the position that we're in, so we don't get all that God has for us, so we live beneath the privilege that God has made for us. got to understand your position. It's always essential for you to understand your position because God always sets you up for success. He never sets you up to fail. Now here's the thing, here's the thing. God sets you up for success, but he doesn't give you success. He sets you up for it, but he ain't giving it to you. He says, listen, if you want it, you got to put some skin in the game. If you want it, you got to go after it yourself. I will pave the way. But if you think that I'm just going to drop it in your lap with no effort from you, you'll never get it. You can pray till you're blue in the face. There will be no money at the end of your bed. Father, please, in the name of Jesus, let me wake up. And it just be at the end of the bed. It ain't going to be there. There's no biblical precedence for that. Well, Solomon, Solomon prayed, and God gave him, he, he gave him. Solomon did not have to pray for money because his daddy was rich. He left him his money. That's why he asked for wisdom. He didn't need to ask for money. So what we have done, what we have done in the church of the 21st century and the church of the 24th century, we've moved from a biblical God to an American God. And an American God does everything we want him to do. He does all the things that we want him to do with no effort from us. We just sit back and wait for him to do it. We want God to heal us, but we won't seek his pathway for healing. God says, listen, I do want you to be well. I do want you to be without disease. I do want all of these things in your life. But why won't you change your diet? How many ribs is enough? Give me one rib. I want my blood pressure lowered. Then how much salt do you need on that food? Why? Because God is very practical. God is not deep, but he does deep things. He's not deep. Uh, I want my marriage to be healthy. Well, what, do you sit down and go over what the responsibilities of each role in the Bible require? And are you willing to die to yourself to give it to your spouse? Yeah, that's good. That's good. God wants you to be successful, but he's not going to just give it to you. God wants this church to be successful. Amen. Do you think he planted you here just to gather? Do you think that this is just a regular routine? Do you think that you have high times of worship like you did today for, for, for no reason? But if you have regulated it, you won't join it. And the worship people will become entertainers. And you will become spectators because you don't realize that we're all supposed to go up and praise and worship together, not just those that are singing. And so we have, we have Americanized God. And so all we really want is God to do stuff for us. But God still has this desire. 
He still says, listen, I want to move in new directions, Martin. And so I'm going to send you there with a word because I want them to know that I've got some power that I want to put on display. But the power that I have, the power that their pastor is asking for, the move that I have, it requires something from them. You just can't praise your way into it. Second half of this book, it discusses the practices that are necessary to get to where God wants you to be. It's practices. The Bible is a book of practices and principles. Amen. You cannot omit the practice and still expect the blessing. Amen. You cannot omit it. It does not work that way. God has grace for all of us, but God has standards that he will not change. He has mercy, but he has standards that he is that are non-negotiable. He taught us that in the book of Genesis with Cain and Abel. Cain tried to bring God what he thought he deserved. And God rejected it. And so we have to be careful not to bring God a lackluster offering because we think that's all he deserves. Now listen, we don't do that intentionally. We're not that ignorant, but life wears us out. And so we fall into that rut where we bring him a minimal thing and expect for an ultimate thing from him. And it doesn't happen. And what does that do to your faith? It discourages you. We have made God American. We have made him comfortable. And now with the advent of live stream, Lord have mercy. We have become the ultimate consumers now. We decide when we're going to come and when we ain't going to come. We decide when it's time to stream or it's time to come in, depending on how we feel. But God says, where's the faithfulness to me? Second part of this book is about employing practices that make you successful. And he starts this off in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Brother-in-law, I'm going to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He told me to tell him when I'm... He, he, he said, he said, shout it out twice, didn't he say? He said, we're back there. He said, whatever you need, Martin, I got you. I got to need Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you have called. He says, listen, I want you to walk in a manner that demonstrates that God has called you to this high place of living. Walk in a manner that demonstrates it. Live in such a way that, 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 that you show the world that God is in your life. Sanctify yourself in such a way that shows the world that you're something, that you're markedly different than they are. Now, sisters, y'all can, can understand this a little bit better than brothers. Because we, we throw stuff everywhere. Amen. Most of us got so many pairs of sneakers and shoes, we can't find two of the same one. But you women, if you buy those, uh, those red bottom shoes, amen, and remember when you get the shoes, you got to get a purse. We understand. 
You buy those red bottom shoes, you don't leave those shoes in the general population of shoes. <laughs> Ain't nobody stepping on the heel of your red bottoms. Amen. Ain't nobody messing those up. Why? Because once you take them off, you put them in a box and put them away so nobody else can touch them. What are you saying? You're saying they're worthy. You're saying they're worthy to be out of the general population. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying you walk in a way that demonstrates that you're not a part of the world. You live your life in a way that shows that you are different than the world. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you was called. And then he gives you the attitude that you must have. He says you walk with lowliness. You walk in meekness. With long-suffering. Bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit. Amen. He's saying you walk with a with a mindset of humility. Because we're no better than anybody else. What do you have that God hasn't given to you? And why do you walk as though you got it by yourself? Why do you elevate what you have? And why do I elevate what I have? And why do we compare what we look like to everybody else? Why is everybody else a Facebook and Instagram star? <laughs> Methods of lying. Everybody on Facebook is happily married. Everybody on Instagram is happily married. All the wives on Instagram and Facebook are the best cooks. They take pictures of it, click, click, and put it up there for you to see. He says, walk in humility. Listen, I love you. And if you're watching live stream, I love you. Bless God, you Facebookers. I am on Facebook as well. But you don't need to see what my wife cooked me. You're not eating it. You don't need to know when we go away on vacation. You don't need to know when we at the restaurant. You don't need that much access to my life. What if you want to jack me and I say I'm in Mexico right now? And you've been past the house and you like my stereo system. You say, well, if you're in Mexico, now's the time to go get it. We talk too much. Folks don't need that much access to your life. They don't need to know that you just bought a new car. Amen. I bet you if you hit the lottery, you don't put that on Facebook. I just hit for five million. You know, everybody, remember you owe me, right? Paul says, listen, I need you to walk in a way, in an attitude of lowliness and meekness. And he says, listen, lowliness is humility but meekness is an honest estimation of who you are to everybody else around you. You can't minister to people if you think you're better than them. You can't. If you're not willing to meet people where they are and bring people up, you might as well quit because Jesus descended to meet us where we were to bring us up. He says, listen, I need you to walk this way. And then I need you to have long-suffering. I need you to be patient. Be patient with stuff. Some things 
people have to grow out of. Some people major in foolishness. Amen. It's not, it's not the devil. It's immaturity. And you ought to be patient with it. God was patient with me when I got saved. He was patient while I stumbled my way into finding out who he was. When I was trying to find out who he was, I tried to do everything I've seen everybody else do. I thought the Lord was speaking every day, all day. Because every time I would talk to somebody, they said, the Lord said. The Lord said, wear blue today. And so when I would put on blue, I said, the Lord said, put on blue. I thought you had to greet everybody with the scripture. How you doing today? Blessed, too blessed to be stressed. Blessed by the best. I thought that that was a way of living. I finally got to a place in my life where the Lord said, fool, just be you. Stop trying to be like everybody else. I'm only going to anoint the real you anyway, so I'm not asking you to be a carbon copy of nobody else. He says, walk in meekness. Amen. Look at each other and say, listen, I'm no better than them. So what I know that they got a problem? Do I talk about them or do I help them? Do I tear them down or do I seek to build them up? Do I create a ministry behind their backs called Talking About Me, Backbiting 101? He says, be patient. Then he says, sustaining. He says, sustaining, forbearing, sustaining one another. You are supposed to sustain each other. You're supposed to be each other's uh, pillar. Amen. You're supposed to be each other's pillar. Then he goes on and he says, endeavoring. And I love this. Because he says, you ought to fight to keep the unity of the spirit. Me and my wife got married. We made a rule. On our honeymoon night, nobody gets to invade our marriage. Amen. And we weren't saying it from a, 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 a guardianship that we don't receive counsel. That's not what we're saying. But what we were saying was nobody gets to dictate how we live together. Amen. We're going to live by this book. Amen. We're not going to look at anybody else's marriage. We're not going to look at anybody else's stuff. We're going to become what God wants us to become together and not look at the influence of any other outside. Nobody better not come and tell me one word about my wife. In the words of that great prophet, it's going to be some slow singing and flower bringing. Amen. Now, only a few know what that means, but y'all that know, amen, y'all know. Don't come and tell me nothing about her. You don't have that privilege. Because your wife said, what? <laughs> he says, you keep the unity. You endeavor, you fight to keep the unity. He says, keep the unity, and that means guard it. Nobody should talk about your brothers and sisters from New Direction. Nobody out from outside of this church should bring you some information about somebody in this church. Here's how you fix it if they do. Say, hold up, let me call them right now while you're talking about them. Let me call them right now. Because if you're talking about them, they need to know what you're saying. Because listen, you only got one side of the story. And I've never heard their side. So before I walk with your side, let's get them on the phone right now so we can hear their side. That's called guarding the unity. Then he jumps down 
he jumps down and he says, and God gave some apostles, some prophets and evangelists and teachers, pastors and teachers. And some people call this the fivefold ministry, depending on your theological stance. It could be five or it could be four, because every pastor should be a teacher. All right? And he says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the working of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, in the King James Version, this causes, this causes a problem. In the King James Version of the Bible. Now remember, the King James Version is not a translation. It's a transliteration. That's why you have Greek and Hebrew manuscripts to look at the words that the translators use to try to get the point across. So they took the original manuscripts and tried to make it into what it said back then for today. Now there are other translations. They are paraphrases. They were created to meet the language of the people of that time. Hence, you have the living version. You have uh, 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 all of these other types of Bibles. You have the message, which is more so now like the ghetto version. I'm thinking of making a ghetto version. A hood version. Amen. It's going to sound a little like this. And Jesus walked up to them bulls and said, yo, what's up? How long y'all not going to believe in me, bruh? How many more miracles I need to do for y'all step up? How long, how long I got to hang out with y'all? Yo, Pete, why are you tripping all the time? Y'all want that version. Y'all like that. Y'all like, praise God. But now listen, the NIV hits it along a little bit different because the King James almost makes it seem like the pastor, the apostle, the evangelist, all of these people are there to do work. But that is not what the Bible is teaching. It's teaching that you do the work and not them. They're supposed to equip you. So listen to me carefully. If you're going to be successful, you got to get in the game. You can't put all the weight on the leadership to do everything. You can't expect them to be every problem solver. You can't expect the man of God to counsel every single issue. Because you should rise up to the place that you counsel the issue. Listen to me carefully with his spirit. See, here's what I realized. Being in the church for 26 years watching it grow from 500 to 4,000 plus. Here's what I learned. Everybody that comes through that door, they expect to meet him in every area of the church. They don't expect to meet me with my personality. They expect his grace to be filtered throughout every area of the church. And when they find nastiness, they think he's a fake. Oh God, let me hurry up and go home. Let me get up out of here. I feel my helper leaving me. Amen. <laughs> Listen, in the King James, it makes you feel like they're supposed to do all of this work. So that's why in the black church, we wear our pastors out. They can't get a break. They work 24-7. Amen. And here's what I've learned. Unfortunately, because of the cultural expectation, they've given you too much access to them. Why do you need to call him when you can call Jesus? 
Why? You want him to solve in two hours of counseling what Jesus could solve in five minutes. If you would just listen to what he says. Well, I don't know that I'm hearing him. Why not? And so we wear them out. Why? Because in the African-American church, we're starved for a hero. We haven't had a significant one for so long. We tried to make Obama our hero. But he can't be your hero. There's only one person that can occupy the space of greatness in your life, and that's Jesus, the son of the living God. You can't put your trust in anybody else but him because everybody else is subject to fail. So we wear our leaders out. Every little thing. You think that everything that happens in the church, they need to be married with a pastor to calling you, let you know the knob was broke. So what? <laughs> pastor, I'm just calling you to let you know that live stream won't be up today. Then I'll preach to the people that come. I have no magic wand to make it work all of a sudden. So we laying them down. We laid them down, and then we want to know why they can't be effective. Then we want to know why they're getting sick in their bodies. We want to understand all of these things. It's because we've dropped everything off at the, with them. It's time to become successful, y'all. It's time to change the way that we're thinking about how we're doing church. God is saying, listen, the world is in darkness, and it's looking for me. And the ones that I've called to represent me, just like gathering. They don't like going where darkness is. If you check my word, wherever there's darkness, I always put a light there. Because the light is there because they need to find me. You can't find stuff in darkness. You can't find stuff. So God says, listen, I'm no longer saying let there be light. I'm sending lights. I'm sending you. I've got you as a light right in your neighborhood. But you haven't learned to inspect the darkness yet. God, you haven't learned to say, this person over here needs the light. But you say, they get on my nerves. I wish they would move. And God says, I'm not moving them. I'm leaving them right there for you. Why you think I put you there? We're starved for heroes. And so we put all this pressure on the leaders all this pressure to perform. They have to be faithful and we get to walk away. We get to decide when we're going to show. But they got to be faithful. They got to stay committed. And if they ain't there, we mad. Amen. You pull up and pass the car ain't out there. Oh boy, here we go. Who's up there today? Oh God. Why he do this to us? Because he need to get away. The best defense is just not to be available. Amen. So in the NIV, he says he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, teachers, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for work of service so that they may build up the body of Christ. You and I as workers are supposed to build up the body, not the pastor. He's only the face of the ministry, but you are the ministry. And unless you put some skin in the game, you're just going to wear him out, and you will keep the wheels turning, and we'll sit back and believe we're doing something great. Man, do you know how bad it is to walk in deception? To really think that you're doing something and you really ain't. 
doing nothing to really think that you're accomplishing something. I remember a time at our church when I thought we was, we was really doing it. And I was happy. I was, I was happy. And I walked into my pastor's office and I said, Pastor, we got him upstairs in the overflow. God is doing a work. He is growing us. That man of God looked at me and said, are we growing or are we just getting fat? I walked out discouraged. <laughs> and here's the problem. What I thought was growth wasn't growth. It wasn't the way he was looking at it. He was looking at it through God's eyes. Growth means that everybody begins to work together. Growth means that we become one. Growth means that the spirit finds a place to dwell with us every Sunday so God can do some things that he would not do otherwise. Growth don't mean more people, beloved. Growth means maturity. As children, it was our job, me and my wife, to make sure that we fed our children. Amen. Because they didn't know how to eat. And so we fed them. We sat them at the table and gave them their food. And as they got older, they started learning how to feed themselves. It changed the way we looked at things. Now all we had to do was make sure it was food in the house. We ain't feeding you no more. Because you should be growing up now. You should be understanding that you have some responsibility in this and that you better get up and walk to the refrigerator and find something in there to eat and learn how to cook something, get that microwave work working, get all of that stuff that we positioned in there for you to get working because we wanted you to be successful, so we gave you all that you need, but we couldn't do it all for you. And IV says he's supposed to train us in how to do the work. He's supposed to train us and release us. Why is this important? Because more ministry happens from one to another than it does from here to there. This ain't the end all be all. This ain't nothing but responsibility. The Bible says that the man of God will stand next to you at the judgment seat and give an account for what he taught you. And if he taught you wrong, if God says, why didn't you do something? And you say, I, don't, I, don't, I, ain't, know, I ain't know that, Lord. He's going to look at Pastor Benson and say, did you teach him that? Yeah, I taught him. Then you will be without excuse. I taught you how to love your neighbor. I taught you how to give. I taught you how to sacrifice. But you chose not to. I can't be held accountable for that. One of the roughest things that I had to learn in my life is that I can't be held accountable for my children's decisions. They're going to make decisions without me and bring them back to me if they fail. That ain't fair. More ministry happens amongst you. Brothers, we got to do better. Amen. We got to do better. We've got to lay down our egos and have some real talks about life and life's tragedies and life's disappointments and pitfalls so that we can strengthen each other. And we don't need breakfast every time we do it. 
tell somebody, man, I'm struggling with my finances. I'm frustrated, I'm stressed because I'm not making ends meet. And it's wearing me out mentally. And I'm tired of robbing Peter to pay Paul. Okay, then let me walk with you through this thing. Let's go to Dave Ramsey's financial peace seminar and sit in there together. I'll pay for it for you. Because listen, you don't have a money problem. You have a thinking problem. It's the way you're thinking about money. And if you cut the cable off, you probably have some more in your pocket. But that's too practical. We won't do that. Lord bless me. God says, turn the cable off and you'll have the money you need. I know it to be true because it happened to me. I laid in my bed because I had a financial need. And I said, Lord, please, I just need you to, to, to help me understand how I ended up here. I've been giving to your work. I've been doing all the things that, that you told me to do. He said, turn your head, son. And I turned my head. <laughs> and I saw 40 suits hanging in my closet. He says, there's all the money you need right there. Because you were more worried about what you look like to people than handling the business that was in your life. Paul says, listen, there's more ministry that happens down there than it happens from up here. There's more. Moses ran into this problem. And Moses said, these people are driving me crazy. What did God do? God said, go get some people and help you. Even his father-in-law said, if you don't do this, you will waste away. Listen, I have learned that there is a God and I'm not him. Amen. I can't fix everybody's stuff. I will tell you in a minute. I don't know. Ain't thinking about it, alright? Now, if you're offended by that, shame on you. But I know somebody that can handle it. I can't carry everybody's burdens. Moses had that problem. And so God said, go get some people and let them help you. Let them help you. The first ingredient, and I'm getting done, the first ingredient to a successful church is understanding that everybody plays a role. There's no insignificant people in this room right now. You're only insignificant by the way you view yourself, not by the way God views you. Because God gave his son for you which means you have value. You're only insignificant by the way you look at yourself. Well, I don't pray like everybody else pray. Pray like you pray. Don't pray like everybody else prays. Listen, when you get into a true relationship with God, a real relationship with God, God will speak to you in terms that you understand, not in Elizabethan English. God ain't never said to me, thou is needeth to get it over there. And I don't talk to him that way. I say, I don't say, thou is no, it's Lordus. I talk to him like, Father, your boy's in trouble. Help me out. And he understands. He understands. I told God one day, I said, God, I'm done. All this preaching and teaching and all of this stuff all the time, I'm just tired. Let's do something different. He said, do you have faith? I said, sure. I've got faith, Father. That's why I'm tired. Because you seem to always leave a blank in the equation. If you tell me when, you ain't going to tell me how. If you tell me how, you ain't going to tell me when. So I'm always got to need faith. And he said, you do have faith. 
But do you have faith that endures? Do you have faith for the long haul? Or are you stuck in the moment? The first ingredient is recognizing. Until we all, recognizing that we all play a role. Listen, second piece of that is, and that we all be held accountable to God. You ain't getting by. Amen. Nowhere to run to, baby. Nowhere to hide. We all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. Paul goes on in verse 13. He says, till we come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge and the, and, and of the Son of God and to the perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, listen, we need to come to the, 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 the knowledge of the Son of God. We need to come to unity. Now, I want to hurry up because this verse right here speaks to the desire of God. It speaks to his heart for new direction. It speaks to what he wants. He says, listen, the first thing I need you to know that I want is unity. Because a house divided against itself can't stand. The first thing I need you to understand is I want unity. I want unity because I refuse to move in any other environment. I refuse to do anything where there is no unity. You must create the environment that I'm looking for. New directions. If you want God to show up in here like never before, you need to be on one accord and you need to have unity amongst each other. And all that takes is humility amongst you. God says, I refuse to move where there's not unity. You want to know why your house ain't blessed? There's no unity in there. It's nothing but fighting and friction. And so when there's fighting and friction and confusion, you should expect sickness and disease. You should expect it. Why expect blessing? Where there is no unity, the devil has a playground to play. God says, the first thing I want you to know is I'm longing for you to have unity. Amen. I want you to understand that you create that environment. God has given you the ability to create that environment. He won't do it for you. He wants you to come through the door prepared for worship. Now, here's what the early church does that we don't do. They prepared for worship, which means the night before they sanctified themselves. They didn't watch TV. They didn't take in all these movies. They didn't take in all of this stuff in their mind so that they didn't have to come in and try to praise God over the junk they filled themselves up with the night before. They shut it down at a certain time so that their minds could be clear, their hearts could be pure, so when they came in, they could have unity in their worship. We don't do that. Amen. Amen. We watching Gangster at 9.30 at night on Saturday night. Watching all these people get shot up and killed and all of this fornication and all of this adultery. And then we come in, I give myself away. And now the word of God's got to fight through all of that mess and penetrate all of that mess for it to have impact in your life. We don't sanctify ourselves. We don't prepare to bring God the unity that he wants. So we try to manufacture it on the run. Yeah. 
wants to move. And he says, listen, I want you to have unity. The psalmist said that God commands a blessing where he finds unity. Amen. He commands a blessing. Paul says, listen, we come together in the unity of the faith into the knowledge of the Son of God. He speaks of the second longing, and he says that this is for you to have the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, when you read that in its regular format, you think that he wants you to know God from the perspective of knowledge. Then here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to fully recognize who he is. You remember when Peter fell and he denied the Lord and his, his, his result was, I'm going fishing? Here's what he was saying. I'm going back to my old way of life. I was a fisherman. Jesus meets him out on the shore and says, do you have any meat? He says, no. He says, cast your nets on the right side and you will find a great chance. Now listen, all the things he are saying to Peter are the same things he said to him in the previous verses in Luke. Why? Because the Holy Spirit will only bring back to your remembrance the things that Jesus said to you before. But Peter couldn't hear them because he was living in his depression. He was living in his failure. He needed John to say, it's the Lord. Then he jumped out and swam and went to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Jesus says, listen, you denied me around a charcoal fire, but I'm going to restore you by a charcoal fire. Why? Because when you smell charcoal, you'll remember how you failed me, but now I'm going to let you smell it again so that you understand that I restored you. Do you love me while the charcoal was going on? The other time he was asked, do you know him? I don't know him. But now he's saying, do you love me? He says, yeah, I know. I know you. I love you. Jesus was restoring him. He wants you to come to the full recognition. Do you know when Jesus is moving in your life? Listen to me carefully. But if you're worried about your need, you'll miss the blessing. Amen. Man walked up on me downtown Center City and said, can you feed me? I said, oh, Lord. Been down this road, know what this movie looks like. Amen. I said, yeah, yeah, yep, I got you. There's a restaurant right around here. He walked in, he said, what can I get? I said, whatever you want, praise God. Lord have mercy. This is going to be 60 bucks because this brother is going to say in his heart, I've hit a home run today. But God sent him to me because I had the ability to meet the need. Now, if I was broke, I couldn't do it because then I would know that God didn't send them to me. I bought a hoagie and had it dressed to my, oh my goodness, I had mayonnaise with a slither of honey mustard down the middle, turkey and cheese, little hot and sweet peppers. I was ready and I was running for the train. And a brother said, hey, can you give me something to eat? And I stopped and I looked and I was like, my train is coming. And the Lord said, give him the hoagie. <laughs> Don't you tell me God won't challenge you. And I started thinking, nah, this is the devil. Because ain't no way I've been waiting on this all day. I didn't get no lunch. And I said, Lord, 
He said, give him the holy. And here's how I know it was God. With tears in my eyes. I reached over and said, do you like turkey and cheese? I'm trying to talk him out of it, y'all. Do you like turkey and cheese? He said, sure do. I said, well, it got some honey mustard on it. I love honey mustard. Gave him the hoagie, and he said to me, do you want me to give you half? He must have seen the tears in my eyes. I said, no, it's for you, my brother. It's for you. It's for you. So Paul talks about these longings, right? And he says, I want you to fully recognize. Here's what he's saying. The second thing, the second ingredient for us to be successful is we've got to understand that we're all connected. You're connected to everybody in this room, whether you like it or not. If one of you fell, all of you fell. If one of you is broke, all of you are broke. That's why the Bible says, cry with them, weep with them, love one another, teach one another, exalt one another. Everything is connected. Paul says we have various different parts of the body, but God set us in the body, and the body is connected. He says that you should become fully equipped, the perfect man, to the stature of Christ. Last one, and he says that you henceforth no more be tossed to and fro, that you become stable. You should not be buying miracle water. Why is our people on there testifying of the water and what it done for what it has done for them? We're going to import miracle water from Israel to the United States, and it's going to heal us. But it ain't healing the people in Israel. And we just go right along. Praise the Lord! I brought my water, and I rubbed it on my neck, and I got a check for ten thousand dollars. What's your neck got to do with the water? He says that you don't become unstable. He said you speak the truth in love. And here's what he says, that you grow up in him in all things. He says that you grow up in him in all things. And then he says, who the body is joined together, compacted, fitly joined together, effectually working to the measure of itself, making increase of the body, of the edifying to itself. You should be building each other up. That's why Paul says, that's why the writer to the Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. I'm supposed to be able to see you and know that you're going through, but because I know that you can show up while you're going through, I know that I can show up while I'm going through, and we can bind together and get through it together. Last one. He says that you dare, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of your mind. Oh my goodness. See, the problem is not external. The problem is with our thinking. We've been culturalized. And so we expect God to agree with what the culture says and to bless us through the culture. The Bible teaches that when Abraham left his country, he had to go with no one attached to him. His father slowed him down, and, 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 and Lot slowed him down. By the time he got to Egypt, he picked up Hagar. She was not a part of God's original plan. And so when, and when, when Sarai believed she couldn't conceive, she said, take Hagar. And Egypt is a type of the world. And here's what God was saying. You can't use worldly methods to bring my blessings into your life. All it did was create a mess that's still going on today. 
third thing to be a successful church is we got to divorce ourselves from the culture. Too worldly. Not from the standpoint of view that we're sinning, but in the way that we think. Amen. We judge each other by the world's standards. Amen. We compare ourselves to each other by the world's standards. If you're going to be successful, you got to change the way you think. Amen. You got to begin to renew your mind, as Paul says, and begin to see these things through God's lenses and not yours. Amen. I was convicted of the Lord the other day because I am in a leadership role in ministry and in the business part of our church. And so I'm involved in all of it. Amen. And being involved in all of it, you got to have tough skin. And I found myself mocking the people that offended me. Not mocking them from the standpoint of view of going around telling people about it, but mocking them in my mind and in my heart. I would say to me, there goes Jackie, here she come. All she going to say is, Pastor Martin, are you going to? And then I, one day I was doing it in my office, and I was like. <laughs> now you laughing because you do it too. That's why you laughing. Praise God. If it hits your toes, just say, ouch. And I found myself doing it, and the Lord said, you do that because you're offended by them. And I said, am I? And he said, I told you how to handle offenses. Go to them and talk to them. But you've created this habit, and you think that I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with that. So I began to repent, and now it's a fight not to do it. It's a fight because it goes against the habit that I created. It's a fight not to do it. So the third thing is, if you're going to be a successful church, you've got to divorce yourselves from the culture. We've got to sanctify ourselves. God wants to move in new directions. Amen. No more playing church. It's time to get busy like never before. It's time now. And all it's going to cost you is you. All it's going to cost you is you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the challenge of the Holy Spirit to step up and answer the call. You said that you want us to be powerful, Father. You want us to make a difference, not only here in these four walls, but in the communities that you set us. So we're praying now, Father, that you would refresh us. Father, as I stand here in front of this, your people, I pray that a fresh wind would come over us, Father, in such a tangible way, Father, that we would feel it and know that you are amongst us, Lord. Breathe on us, your children. Oh, God, those who are laden and carrying heavy burdens, I'm praying right now, Father, as you breathe on us, they would be lifted. I'm praying, Father, that victory would be reestablished in their minds and that they would be able, Father, to say they're going to run on a little bit harder now, God. In the name of Jesus, we're praying that you bless this congregation, that you bless this man of God, that you bless all of those who work so faithfully with him to take this church to the place that you desire for it to be. All that we are, we commit to your faithful hands. In Jesus' name.